Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. There's a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The sky is set blazing all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around. Before we run aground, we gotta turn this ship around. Before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can find all our shows archived for your binge listening pleasure. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches. Just call 224 I'm joined today by Chris Ryan, the man in the know, the man who knobs the hobs of every politico that happens to cross the threshold of New Hampshire. They come across in buses from Massachusetts at this time of the year (laughs) because the political campaign for president of the United States has started. It's already begun, and New Hampshire is hopping. It's a hotbed of politicos trying to make hay with their various constituencies, and Chris Ryan is always there right with there. his trusty recorder, his pad at the ready to catch them in some unintended consequential moment. But wait, wait a second, folks. We've got a special guest calling in. Um, he- uh, hello, uh, Mr. 45, Mr. Orange Top uh, Cantaloupe. How-, how are you? Uh, I'm fine, Paul. And-, and how are you, you wacky left-wing liberal? Well, that's uh, the nicest thing anybody has ever said about me, Mr. President. Oh, I know, because I'm the nicest guy. I have the best words, and I like to be nice to, to nice people, and sometimes you're a nice guy. But, 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 Mr. 45, I call you names. I say you're an orange-top cantaloupe, a carrot-top cantaloupe. Well, it's sort of true, isn't it? Look at my tan. Look at my hair. I have the world's best comb-over. Well, Mr. President, let's just talk about important things because I I I want to welcome you back to the United States because I understand that you took a trip in Air Force One, the mighty flying fortress, over to La Belle France. You went to, over there, no doubt, to eat frog's legs and garlic. Oh, yes, they have so much garlic there. I was standing next to 
President Macaroon, the, the macaroon over there. And President Macaroon was not sweet smelling. He smelled of garlic. So <laughs> I snubbed him. You could see me snub him very strongly because I'm an American. I don't like garlic. I like McDonald's. They have no garlic in McDonald's. No, no garlic in Kentucky Fried Chicken. No garlic in my endless stream of diet Coca-Cola. But President Macaron, Macaroon smelled like garlic, so I snubbed him. Well, Mr. Mr. 45, not only did you snub President Macron, uh, you snubbed uh, Angela Merkel. Oh, she's a short-timer. She's a lame duck. You should see her limping around Germany, trying to be strong. You know, I'm Angela Merkel. I'm so strong. I'm the leader of Europe. You know, I don't care about Europe. I don't care. Europe is like so yesterday. It's so 20th century. We, Americans, we are the most important people. So, uh, yes, I snubbed them both, but they had a little tete-a-tete. Did you see those cute pictures of them holding hands in the cemetery? What a place to hold hands. Melania and I sometimes hold hands, but, but never in cemeteries. We sometimes, well, I know people don't see us holding hands, but we do hold hands. It's very, very nice. She came with me. On the trip, and she looked so beautiful. Yes, yes, Mr. 45, she did look beautiful, but but there was a bit of controversy uh, because you did not attend the ceremonies on Armistice Day for the valiant warriors who died in World War What? Oh, that was so, so, so bad. I felt very strongly that I should not get my hair wet. I felt very strongly it was very important that my comb-over stay intact. So I spoke to the Secret Service. I spoke to all of them, the security people, and they said, uh, Mr. President, they call me Mr. President, unlike you, and they said, if you go out there, we cannot guarantee the safety and integrity of your comb over. That was all it took. Let's 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 be fair. That was all it took. I'm a smart man. I have the best words and a brain. And when somebody says they cannot guarantee the safety of my comb over, believe me, I believe them. Well, thank you very much, Mr. 45. We appreciate your coming on off the record with Paul Hodes. Uh, and uh, we'll turn it back over to Chris Ryan and Paul Hodes now for commentary on that extraordinary interview with the man who calls himself the President of the United States. So, Chris Ryan, the President didn't want to get his comb-over wet on Armistice Day, and he stayed home while all the other world leaders gathered. What kind of signal does that send? I do think that, uh, you know, obviously the weather was a cause of concern in regards to if you've seen any of the pictures online where the President has, I think it was one where he went to the Patriots game and uh, back when he was just Donald Trump, reality TV dude. And um, his hair just was like blowing all over the oh, place. Oh, that's terrible. And it's not good. It's terrible. Um, so it's I'm a, sure that it's was... It's a terrible sight. So like one of the big reasons for the Make America Great Again hat, in addition to, I'm sure, um, being a big sales item. Keeping it all in place. Ex- you can, yeah. That's you, the, it. That's, that was a really good idea. Make my hair great again. Right. And Make my hair so the great. Hair, the hair could not fly about in um, outdoor conditions. And you can't wear a hat to uh, Armistice Day. 
That's not an option. Right. So the hair has to... I hadn't really gone in depth on this as much as we have right now, That's so I'm glad right. I've this, had this opportunity. This is the kind of analogy. <clears throat> yeah. I just want to tell all my listeners how grateful I am to Chris Ryan for joining me, because this is the kind of in-depth analysis <laughs> that you can only find on Off the Record with Paul Hodes. There are so few shows that go into in-depth on these important issues. <laughs> Most political shows and commentary <clears throat> deal with you know issues like health care and the economy and national security. But we Petty. focus on the important issues like <clears throat> Donald Trump's hair. Yeah, so my thought process was that he did not go to this uh, event because he was upset and uh, he was he was fuming a little bit. And as a result, he decided not to go. And I, I, I thought that his staff was also probably pretty upset with him because they didn't give him too much of a shield as a reason for not going. And they did not, you know, intervene and say, you need to go. Like, you need to go. Um Generally, you know, Paul had a staff, and I assume they liked you somewhat, and they would, if you were going to do something wrong, they would try to help you, right? On on Sometimes, yes. Sometimes they would try to help me. Of course, sometimes, you know, you can't help but want to throw your boss under the bus. But, <laughs> but, but generally, they but were... But generally, particularly with presidents. Yeah, presidents right. like you, there are a lot of loyalists around you who care, that's right. who care for your legacy and how you're viewed, a lot of times, probably more than even you do. And I and demanded they were, loyalty. You know right. it. I demanded loyalty. And they were all very willing to um, throw him under the bus. You know, Chris, uh, let me Whoa, just interview. He's, he's I'm 45 and I'm back. I just want to say that, that what I treasure is loyalty, and I want a staff who'll take the raindrop for me. When the drops <laughs> fall, when yeah. the drops start flying, I want staff who'll stand out there and take the drops for me. Now, one, one of my staff members, very loyal, offered to put on a wig and offered to put on on, wear some pillows and put on a big coat and stand in and make everybody believe that he was me. But I said, there's only one of me. I am I am he who is he who is unique. I am me. I am mine. I am the Donald. And nobody can stand in for me. So sadly, sadly, we did not go with plan B, which was the fake Donald Trump appearing at the armistice who was actually a staff member dressed up. So that's all. I just had to interrupt because I was listening to your excellent commentary. I appreciate your, your listening. Well, it's it's. I, I'm glad the president is listening. You know, he, he famously usually only listens to what we might call conservative radio. I, I think he's really more a fan of Rush Limbaugh than he is of Paul Hodes mm, and Chris I Ryan. I don't think he ever listens to radio. To he doesn't honest. care about radio. I think he's a TV guy. He's a TV he's guy. Oh, that's true. Well, Chris, radio doesn't catch his attention. So what There's we nothing need, to look at. You and I need a TV show. We need <laughs> the the Paul Hodes Chris Ryan TV show. Yeah. And what what are we going to do about that? Uh, it's in the planning stages. Like, so now let, let, let's turn stages. to some of the other great things that happened this week. So so Billy Joe Bob Whitaker, uh, the bullneck Billy Joe Bob Whitaker, uh, is now running the Justice Department. The guy who famously uh, wanted to trash uh, the Mueller investigation now may get his chance. The New York Times 
uh, op-ed uh, opined that it's unconstitutional to have Billy Joe Bob Whitaker, who wasn't confirmed by the Senate, wasn't um, in the proper position to do it. But the DOJ came out and said, no, it's OK, because he was on the staff and he'd been paid and therefore it was constitutional. Is this going to court? Maryland sued to try to get Billy Joe Bob Whitaker uh, dismissed. What's what's going to happen? Is is the Mueller investigation dead? Or has Mueller outsmarted everybody and is holding piles of indictments, which he's spread around the country, just waiting to unleash them at the right time, namely when the Democrats take control in January? I think he is... Um you know, waiting until he has all the information necessary to take the investigation as far as it can go, in his view. And that's um, at the feet of 45. Um, he is not going to indict um, you know, Donald Trump Jr. or Jared Kushner or anybody of that nature uh, until um, the investigation has reached its completion. Uh, because he knows that at that point in time is when um, 45 is going to step in and uh, try to end uh said investigation prematurely uh so i think i think robert Mueller, you know robert Mueller's a smart guy he knows what he he knows what he's doing and um we don't know what he's doing i have no idea what he's doing um and this investigation has gone on for a very very long period of time um but i think that he is going to he has he is going to make sure that all the ducks are in the row uh when um he starts mm-hmm. to make serious indictments and i expect that to be you know donald trump jr it's been rumored for Several weeks now that he is um, on the verge of being indicted. For lying to the FBI about the famous Trump Tower meeting with the Russians. Right. And um, there's also individuals who know whether or not um, those Russians were brought up to meet uh, Donald Trump and whether or not Donald Trump was aware of information that the russians gave and used that say in speeches uh, and afterwards <laughs> promising information uh, that was damaging to hillary clinton after uh, said meeting and before said meeting what i liked was the performance way back when in the debate in 2016 when donald trump stands up and says russia if you're listening what about the email right. what about her emails right. that i mean that that was a good one because that took place days within days of the trump tower meeting with the russians yeah. of which uh, as to which he's denied all knowledge okay let's go on to one final question i have what happened in donald trump's mind to the dreaded Caravan of invaders, all those dark-skinned Latinos and Latinas who are coming to invade the United States before the midterm elections, but about whom we have not heard a single word out of Donald Trump's mouth since the midterms, while 6,000 of our best Men and women in uniform sit at the border without hot food, without any comforts, sitting in tents, waiting to meet the caravan of sorry migrants from countries where they have been persecuted and oppressed. So was this just, I can't believe I'm saying this, a political stunt to energize the Republican base for the midterms? Is that why we haven't heard a single blessed word out of the face of the carrot top cantaloupe? There have been um, you know, several instances, in my view, over the last uh, several weeks, months, in which um, there's been 
overly politicized uh, incidents that were not necessary. The caravan, obviously, is a clear, obvious one uh, where the president was trying to drum up fear and use an event in order to um, get out the base or whatever he was trying to do. Um, you know, it is pretty clear that in the last election, Donald Trump, um, you know, things were going well for Republicans prior to him going out on the campaign trail and saying things and reminding folks, you know, uh, that he was president and the election was about him. Um, I think Republicans would have had a lot more success if Donald Trump had gone golfing for two weeks as opposed to going out and campaigning for uh, for two weeks. And I think the Democrats um, made a huge deal about Brett Kavanaugh and about his accusers. And then once he was confirmed, it was like, oh, OK, this is, it's fine. He's, he's, he's confirmed. And I, that was suspicious to me as well. I mean, if there was that much of a concern about the character and integrity of an individual who um, you know, was named to the Supreme Court, why was that let go? Why was that not continued and pursued? And why do folks not want to you know, continue that argument if, in fact, they are as sure as they say they were about the accusations against Brett Kavanaugh? Ladies and gentlemen of the popular jury, Chris Ryan raising important questions that have no answers, except that the <laughs> carrot top cantaloupe is a venal political animal and will do anything, even at taxpayers' expense, to try to win. But unfortunately, he's now going to be up against a Democratic House of Representatives, which is going to f- begin to find out what's really going on in the White House. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at NHTalkRadio.com and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLA and FM, streamed live over the internet and archived for your binge listening pleasure at nhtalkradio.com, where you can find our past shows and binge listen to your heart's content. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, I'm very pleased to introduce a special guest to our listening audience. Our dozens of listeners uh, will really enjoy uh, our conversation. Uh, Dana Chasen is joining us. And Dana, uh, who has deep and long political experiences, is a fiscal and financial policy advisor and the founder of 2020 Vision, a D.C.-based economic policy and political advocacy consulting firm. Dana, welcome to Off the Record. Thank you. So tell, tell me, how did you come to, uh, to found 2020 Vision? What motivated you? What, what, what did you do before 2020, and uh, how did uh, that come about? Oh, I did a lot of things before 2020, uh, some relevant, some not, but my background basically is in uh, law uh, and then banking and then government, uh, law private practice in New York, banking private practice in New York, 
and then uh, policy and government uh, in a certain nefarious revolving door involving the United States Senate and certain shadowy think tanks in Washington, D.C., focusing on progressive economic policy. Uh, and then the Hillary campaign, uh, where it served as a domestic economic policy advisor. And since then, um, joining with uh, 2020, which is a work-in-progress um, staff that have uh, been focusing on legislative and regulatory developments in fiscal policy, financial uh, regulatory policy, and uh, other salient aspects of uh, domestic economic policy. Well, it sounds like a a, a really um, star-crossed and uh, important career with a lot of good experience. And, of course, here we are. The midterms are over. You and I spoke a couple of months ago, I recall, not knowing at the time how the midterms would turn out. Uh, given the election results, which, by the way, folks, are still coming in in some places. If I'm not mistaken, there are a few U.S. House races and even a Senate race still uh, in the balance, maybe two Senate races in the balance, uh, that where votes are still being counted. But what we do know is that while people didn't necessarily feel a tsunami, uh, this seems to be a have been a wave, a blue wave that uh, that 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 kind of started smaller than some people had hoped, but has been growing um, pretty substantially. And we now know that uh, the Democrats control the U.S. House. Uh, we uh, do not control the U.S. Senate, but control of the Democratic House is very very important. I was fortunate enough to serve in the House during the last uh, Democratic majority and was able to get a lot done. Now, of course, uh, some of what I got done uh, was actually signed into law by President Bush. I passed. I was able to author a law called Michelle's Law, healthcare innovation that, that President Bush signed. It was a bipartisan bill. And then when Barack Obama was elected president, uh, the Democrats were able to achieve quite a lot. Now we've got divided government. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, the the man I fondly call the carrot top cantaloupe in the White House, um, and we've got a Republican Senate. But but there is going to definitely be an impact on uh, fiscal, financial, and economic policy mm-hmm. um, uh, because of this new Democratic majority. And I'm uh, interested in your take if we uh, think about. Um, some of the committees that are going to be doing uh, the work of making policy in the new House, on your take, um, about what the new Democratic majority means and and how uh, Democrats might go about uh, balancing the accountability that people want to see about the White House and what the White House and this administration has done, but balancing that with... um, uh, getting something done for the American people that actually helps people. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a that's a um, uh, at least a two part question. And, and first of all, I thought, uh, Congressman, I'd, I'd really just make explicit the point that you were hinting at. Uh, a miss is as good as a mile, and the opposite is true too. 
doesn't matter if we had a blue wave and had a 90-seat margin. Uh, it would not be any different from the results today in terms of the consequences for the organization of Congress, the House, its committees, and particularly the committees that uh, we're interested in, uh, the one that you served on um, uh, during the critical uh, time of the drafting of Dodd-Frank, House Financial Services Committee. So Maxine Waters, um, Democrat of uh, California, will assume the gavel, and, uh, you know, the sea change will be um, obvious immediately, uh, not only in her, uh, you know, in, in the issues that she wants to pursue, the legislation she wants to pursue, the hearings she wants to hold, uh, the oversight that she wants to conduct, but the way she does it. Uh, you know, this is not your, your uh, grandfather's um, chair. And I think that the change will be refreshing. Um, I think it's going to get people thinking about directions we've been heading in um, uh, perhaps uh, more blindly than we should be um, with, re- with regard to risks, systemic risks and, and risks of continued inequality. Uh, she will look at the banking world very differently from the way Jeb Henserling did when he was serving as the chair. So... Uh, I think we 2020 are looking forward to uh, having Maxine assume the gavel, and uh, it's just great that it didn't uh, necessarily take 90-seat uh, gains, a big blue wave. Even a little blue wave uh, was enough to sweep her in, and the difference is going to be material. What I, you know, what I just, I want to uh, make an observation. Uh, I served with both Jed Henserling and Maxine Waters on the Financial Services Committee during the uh, very, uh, quite frankly, terrifying time of the collapse of the financial world and the Great Recession, uh, and in the aftermath, um, uh, trying to rein in some of the practices that had uh, been um, at the root of the excesses that led to the the great collapse, but you know, if I just want to, uh, you know, in my in my in my view and in my experience, um, politics has an awful lot, and policy has an awful lot to do with the people who were making it. Uh, in fact, it's ev- it's everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I served with Jed Henserling, uh, he was not uh, at that time the chair. Obviously, Democrats were in the chair. Barney Frank was the chair of the committee when I served on it. And Jed Henserling uh, sat on the same row I did. Um, as a younger member of the House, he's a white guy from Texas, and the one thing I can tell you about Jed Henserling was that he seemed to me to be, um, he seemed to take every opportunity that he could uh, to uh, demean, deprecate um, uh, people who were poor. Uh, he has seemed to have no... Um, conscience when it came to uh, African Americans and race relations. Uh, I'm not being overly harsh because mm-hmm. I, I would I sat there in the committee and listened to the kinds of things he said. And no matter how they may have been couched in polite 
chatter. Um, I thought that he was an outright bigot um, who was there to serve the pleasures of the well-to-do. By he wasn't. Would you say that he wasn't quite as um, disliked as Senator Cruz, but? Uh, maybe kind of a House equivalent? Yeah, I mean, he was the House equivalent of, of, of Cruz, and and he was, he, he you know, I, I personally, uh, like mo- many people in Congress, he was pleasant, because um, you don't get to Congress without being somewhat pleasant, uh, but, but, you know, his politics were just awful. And by contrast, Maxine Waters is an 80-year-old African-American woman, with lots of experience around discrimination, with lots of experience around uh, poverty, with lots of experience um, around uh, important issues of fair housing, which many people don't know that uh, is uh, are dealt with by the Financial Services Committee. Mm-hmm. It deals mm-hmm. it deals not only with banks and insurance companies and and the regulatory affairs there, but it also deals with issues around HUD and housing. And, yeah, and those are those. I think could take new prominence uh, in the work of the Financial Services Committee. But what I'm hoping to see, and what I expect to see, is a Democratic majority on the Financial Services Committee, which um, which takes a look at the attempted rollback uh, yeah. by the Republicans of the protections that Dodd Frank um, uh, put in place because the Republicans have basically declared war on consumer financial protection and bank yeah. regulation. Yeah. Well, Maxine was very direct about that in a statement earlier this week. Uh, I think she said that uh, the the uh, days of deregulation are at an end, something to that effect. I mean, I think if I recall, her district was very... Uh, badly hit by the financial crisis. I mean, I think the lessons brought home to her by uh, her constituents, uh, as well as her own inclination uh, and perspective, I think suggest that really uh, uh, the deregulatory um, push by the administration, the Republicans in Congress, uh, has uh, reached its height and uh, will go no further. The question is, is any reversal possible? Uh, and even if not, uh, is it worth trying at least now to prepare for, uh, you know, uh, a future, um, you know, majority in uh, all of Congress and maybe the executive branch in a time when we can actually enact rather than defend? We are speaking with Dana Chasen here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Dana is the founder of 2020 Vision, an economic, fiscal, financial policy uh, advocacy and consulting firm. Uh, We are brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We're going to take a very brief break, and we'll be right back with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM. Brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. 
Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. That's 224-9111. I'm pleased to welcome back Dana Chasen, who is a fiscal and financial policy advisor and the founder of 2020 Vision, a D.C.-based economic policy and political advocacy consulting firm with a long history in progressive politics and advising uh, on economic and political policy issues. Dana, welcome back. Um, We were talking about the changes in the Financial Services Committee uh, with Maxine Waters uh, now taking the gavel come January. What what happens in a divided government, though, even though Democrats are in the majority in the U.S. House and there will be a majority on the Financial Services Committee in terms of bank regulation and housing? uh, But what what can really get done? With, yeah. uh, with a president like the one we've got in the White House and Mitch McConnell and his cabal in control of the Senate. That's right. Very little, actually, uh, for better or for worse, um, for the simple reason that uh, the area of domestic economic policy, which is what I can speak to, where there seems to be very broad consensus among uh, American people and even among uh, probably both parties of Congress, and even in the administration, that we need to address our crumbling infrastructure um, in uh, all of its components, from transportation to telecommunications, etc. Uh, there is an enormous uh, consensus in Congress for regular order spending, to some degree, on infrastructure, uh, something along the line, a good... Uh, 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 I guess the analogy would be uh, Obama's stimulus package, um, a substantial public work, uh, and, you know, in this case, maybe not with the spending front-loaded. It's not supposed to be stimulative, but I think you could get $200, $250, 300000000000 billion for projects to get to work over the next couple of years by, you know, um, 90% of both chambers. The problem is twofold. First, uh, how do you pay for it? Uh, Nancy Pelosi, to her credit, is fiscally responsible, and as much as we need infrastructure, we also need fiscal balance. Hard to know why we can't have both. But the big problem there uh, is that the Trump administration won't have it. Uh, they are absolutely uninterested in uh, uh, asking uh, anyone to pay more in taxes for anything, including uh, critical infrastructure. Their approach is instead to offer a tax cut. And so really, the only basic notion of an infrastructure program that the Trump administration has put forward has been more or less uh, giving opportunities to uh, entrepreneurs to finance, um, invest in uh, at something like an 81% um, uh, deduction clip investment broadly defined. Um, who knows what you get for that? Do you get schools? Of course you don't. Do you get bridges? You know, of course you don't. What do you get? Well, you don't get anything, and you don't get any legislation, and you don't get any new infrastructure. So that's the long answer, I'm sorry to say. You know, the uh, the tax cut that the Republicans put in uh, has uh, caused the uh, deficit uh, to skyrocket. 
Um, it has it's fiscally clearly fiscally irresponsible, but it really is no surprise. I mean, the benefits of that tax cut went largely to those at the top. Um, I I had advocated when I was in Congress for. Um, a modification of the way ta- uh, corporations were taxed. I wanted to incentivize uh, companies to keep their money uh, keep their money in the United States. I wanted to um, uh, make sure that uh, cash from overseas was repatriated mm-hmm. and used for um, appropriate purposes of uh, of growth and rewarding employees with higher salaries um, and really uh, sort of bringing try, uh, bringing a a corporate ethos of being part of the American community uh, back to America. It may have been naive, but that was some of the reasons why I was in favor of a carefully modulated adjustment of the corporate tax rate combined with requirements that uh, money come back here and be used for appropriate purposes. Now, that that didn't happen, and right. and what we're seeing is a tax cut that has um, that's irresponsible. But you know, tr- uh, President Trump has always been the king of debt, so for him it's not surprising. He's lived on debt all his life, most of it financed by Russian crooks. So it's not surprising to see him pushing the tax cut. Now I'm betting that uh, not too far down in the recesses of the Democratic uh, uh, thought. Uh, they'd like to see the some of those provisions rolled back in order to finance yep. infrastructure projects and investments in America that actually benefit Americans. Yeah. Do you think yep. there's any chance um, that President Trump, who, after all, really just wants to be loved? I mean, above all, he wants people to... To, to think he's great and he keeps telling everybody he is because he's so insecure. But it may be, now I'm going to pose a radical theory, that he is such an opportunist, such a craven politico without any principles whatsoever, that if he saw the prospect that he could get credit for doing something good by partnering with the Democrats, he might even agree to um, an infrastructure spending bill that uh, rolled back some of the provisions of the tax cut. What do you think? Am I am I am I off the reservation? Well, let, let's. Uh, well, I don't really know how this fellow thinks, but I. Well, he think, doesn't think, but but so well, it, that's. I, I appreciate I appreciate our using the word, but we'll go with it for now. Yeah. Um. This. Tax cut, this major accomplishment, uh, really is one of the two or three chief legislative accomplishments of the 115th Congress. I'm not praising it, uh, and of the administration. And what did it get them? Their candidates on the stump fled the issues, starting with, you know, Pennsylvania, the uh, Connor Lamb District. So what is he to think? Now, we certainly, I do not expect any kind of agreement on taxes between Trump and the Democrats. I don't see any reason to expect that legislation on tax. On top of which, I think we're exhausted on taxes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, a loser issue. You run on it, you don't win. And frankly, what we need to do is raise them, and who wants to do that? So I don't see action on it. 
So the Democrats are just going to live with the deficit and try to find other ways to to uh, to attack it. I mean, do- yeah, Paul, Paul, here's what I would say. Wait for the Democrats, as I said earlier, to be able to run the show. There is no reason for us to go up with our wonderful, high minded raising of taxes so we can have roads and bridges only to be subject to attacks by Republicans. Wait until we've beaten them. Then we run the show. Then we save, you know, uh, then we manage both to do infrastructure and pay for it. You know, I used to say when I was running for office that Republicans run for office saying government doesn't work. They get elected to prove it. And uh, <laughs> right. and uh, what are they doing? And, seems, I mean, honestly, it's almost it's farcical. Yeah, we're seeing we're seeing it again. You know, one of the interesting uh, things some of my former colleagues uh, and I have been emailing a little bit. Um, there's some important things going on, kind of uh, in uh, underneath the policy um, uh, game um, about the speakership and uh, whether Nancy Pelosi uh, will once again be called Madam Speaker. Or whether or not with the generational shift that uh, is represented by many of the new members in Congress and uh, the aging of those who came in with me, like my colleague Ed Perlmutter, who was a fellow on the Financial Services Committee, uh, whether we'll see a shift in the speakership. What do you think the policy implications are for Democrats if Nancy Pelosi is no longer in charge of the overall strategy and helping to guide the Democratic caucus? Well, I would assume that that would be the case only if she wants it. I think she's got a rock-solid grip on the caucus. I think any opposition, and just saying this neutrally, any opposition you see now is fairly incoherent. It's not circled around a name. You don't see more than about, you know, a dozen or two dozen people perhaps supporting a possible potential putative candidate if anyone has has the temerity. Uh, You know, I mean, there are reasons not to run against Nancy Pelosi, and I think that's going to be the uh, controlling factor in uh, in the end. Many more reasons not to do it. I expect, in other words, I expect her to have the gavel. Um, Now, having said that, this new class, of uh, freshman Democrats is going to be heard from. It's distinctive. It's a sea change in so many ways, but particularly uh, perspective on uh, uh, with regard to economic policy for all kinds of reasons. Their age, their gender, their experience. I mean, this is really uh, a kind of a uh, little mini cultural sea change in the House, um, and I think it's a uh, I think it's extremely auspicious. But I also know that the freshman class of any Congress, how much power does it have, Paul? How would you, how would you uh, quantify that? I would say they only have as much power as the leadership is willing to give them. Because as soon as you get to Congress, you find out that everything that you talked about on the stump was what you talked about on the stump. And yeah. that in order to get anything done, you had to play an awful lot of good politics within the Democratic caucus. First, you had to find out where the bathrooms were. Then you had to find out who held the power and how you would get close to whoever it was that you needed to to get uh, some power for yourself. You 
you had to make the right kinds of relationships in order to exercise that power. Now, it may be that this class, which is young, which has got a large number of women uh, that is diverse ethnically, um, that is a a kind of grew out of the grassroots um, frenzy following the Trump uh, election, will be more public in the way they go about uh, exercising some power and go over the heads of leadership right to the public in order to get what they want, which I think is a more progressive agenda than most of the existing uh, Democrats uh, have been used to. So it's going to be a wild and woolly time, both within the Democratic caucus and for the country. Dana, thank you for joining us. We'll have have you back regularly because I think uh, your perspective is really important. Uh, We've been talking with uh, Dana Chasen, an economic, fiscal, uh, and political policy advisor, founder of 2020 Vision, a D.C.-based organization. It's off the record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can find us on Google and Apple and Stitcher. Brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Don't go away, folks. We'll be back to wrap up this edition of Off the Record with Paul Hodes. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM. Streams live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. Brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community. Designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate Life of the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, Chris Ryan and I had a wonderful time. We had a phony visit from the phony president of the United States, uh, returned from France, who uh, told us all about uh, the problems with raindrops and his hairdo. And we talked with Dana Chasen, a uh, terrifically experienced fiscal, economic, and political policy advisor and consultant who is the founder of 2020 Vision, about what we can expect going forward from the new crop of Democrats, Uh, who are taking over in the House and what they hope to do on economic and fiscal policy, especially on the Financial Services Committee in terms of banks and housing. So this is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM. I want to thank our great sponsor, the Birches at Concord. I want to thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL. AM and FM.